Welcome to the Do Life Better podcast, where we believe that you get to create who you are being and who you become. And it's often the smallest changes and actions that make the biggest difference. Each week, your host, Dave Jorner, will bring you the best guests, tips and messages to inspire and help you to do life even better. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Do Life Better podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in again today. And if this is your first time, welcome to the Do Life Better community. Thank you for joining us. Now, on this podcast, we have enjoyed hearing from a wide range of guests whose tips, strategies and techniques help you and me do life better and whose stories inspire us to be at our best. And today's guest is one whose story I find incredibly inspiring. He is the perfect example of the strength, the courage, the determination, the hope that comes from having everything being driven by your deep sense of purpose. In fact, as you're listening to this episode right now, Reed, our guest, is probably tapping into this sense of purpose as he is embarking on an epic challenge ride going from Vancouver in Canada across to Halifax. And it's like a 6,000 kilometer ride. He's trying to do it in 15 days. That's right, 15 days. In fact, the Guinness Book of World Records um, record for the ride is set at 13 days and six hours. He, he wants to try to beat that or at least do it in 15 days, which is a huge, huge, huge challenge. Now, Reed Anderton has spent the better part of his adult life working with a small not-for-profit called Eagle's Wings, which he helped to establish in Zambia and later in Australia. Eagle's Wings' sole focus is to see vulnerable children realize and reach their God-given potential. The past few years, in between some rather epic rides, he has been helping to establish a construction company called Charity Build Group in order to raise further funds for the not-for-profit charity sectors. In June 2017, Reed knew it was time to write his book, uh, which is called Inspire, How the Death of a Brother Raised Over a Million for Charity. Now, I found this chat with Reed incredibly inspiring, particularly the way that he overcomes the difficult moments with his deep sense of purpose and the way that he turns such a tragic moment into so much hope and, and so much good and so much positivity for a lot of people out there in the world today. So, I hope you enjoyed today's chat with Reed Anderson. Reed, thank you very much for joining us on today's episode of the Do Life Better podcast. No worries, thank you. And uh, I know that you've done your very best, Reed, to find a nice quiet spot out there in the bush where you're at the moment. And uh, so if there is a little bit of background noise, that's why. But Reed, again, I really appreciate your time today. And in fact, it probably is quite fitting that you're out there in the bush today because you'll be soon spending a lot of time um, out on the road as well over in Canada doing a massive um, challenge ride that you're doing coming up. Yep. to take a couple of weeks. So I'd love to hear more yep. about that. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, a couple of days we fly out from Brisbane to Vancouver and it's a Guinness World Record attempt um, as the fastest um, cycle-assisted ride across Canada, so from Vancouver to Halifax. So 6,000 Ks, uh, current record is 13 days, 6 hours, um, or it equates to about 455 kilometres a day um, that we have to cover to be able to get close to the record. So it's a pretty good record. It's pretty hard. Um, you need good conditions. Um, need a lot of things to go our way, but we'll, we'll see. 
that's that's a huge amount, nearly 500 Ks per day. That, that's massive. And I'd love to talk about that shortly. Before we do, I believe you were quite the skydiving enthusiast. Uh, yeah, like growing up, I used to probably just do what every other kid and just does a lot of team sports. So I was involved in rugby league um, as a kid growing up and then kind of in my early adult years, kind of when I was 20, 21. Um, stopped playing footy and just started to look at something else. And um, my brother was pretty keen on um, getting involved in skydiving. So together we kind of searched out a, a like a skydiving club and mm-hmm. just went and did the course. And um, then from there we kind of spent the next seven or eight years just jumping out of planes and having a whole lot of fun together. So, yeah, it was good. Really wow. enjoyed my time doing that, yeah. Wow, that would be awesome. I'd love to experience that one day. And um, – <laughs> Another reason I, I wanted to ask you about your skydiving because I know that also um, you, know, you, you dabbled in base jumping a little bit and this is one of the reasons why you know, you're doing this with your brother is one of the reasons that got you into these epic cycles that you were doing. Yeah, so like my, my brother, he was more of a natural with um, any sort of sport where mentally you need to be so aware. So he got involved in climbing as a teenager and pretty much for the next 10 years he was climbing all over the world obviously we were skydiving together he naturally progressed more towards base jumping that was just his makeup um i held back a bit i didn't really trust myself in the milliseconds so when you're actually skydiving you've got seconds to make good decisions Mm -hmm. and right decisions but when you actually move from skydiving to base jumping it comes to a very finite point of time where you've actually literally got milliseconds if you're in trouble to make the right decision i didn't trust myself um, to do that and i didn't really want to go down into a sport where i didn't trust myself and also knew that i couldn't commit a hundred percent to he was drawn to it so he just loved that whole idea of pushing boundaries ever since he was a kid he was always pushing boundaries Andrews, he loved the idea of living in this state of um, – he wasn't chasing adrenaline, but he liked to put himself in a situation or situations where he was kind of living in that moment where things were scary. He had to overcome things. Um, so he definitely was more, you know, driven to become a, a base jumper, and he did. You know, he went on to you know, make hundreds and hundreds of base jumps all over the world. Um, I did a few. Um, that was only because he dragged me either to the Story Bridge. Um, he pushed me off Story Bridge a couple of times. Uh, in Zambia, we jumped off the uh, the bridge that goes across from Zambia to Zimbabwe. And again, that was just because he kind of pushed me to do it. Um, but other than that, um, I was always just, nah, this is not a sport for me. But he loved it. In 2007, August 2007, in Norway, Steve was uh, killed in a base accident. So at that point, around 2003, uh, wingsuit technology was starting to develop, and mm-hmm. so he started to uh, base jump um, with a wingsuit. And so the wingsuit, the whole idea at the start was that you'd be able to use these suits to fly away from a cliff mm-hmm. um, where you wouldn't have any issue of cliff strikes or anything like that. But what base jump has started to do was with this technology and the ability to be able to fly, not just falling, but actually kind of gliding at a good ratio, kind of like a, a one to three ratio across the sky, 
they were starting starting to turn back towards the cliff and gorges, um, all these different kind of terrains which they could actually then just fly in close proximity to the cliff, to the terrain. So you're talking at stages, you know, they might be just metres away from, you know, the cliff face, from trees, from valleys, travelling at, you know, 140 kilometres an hour. So that was what he got into. Um, And the whole thing with that is that even though your skill level might be good, um, you might be very experienced, the sheer fact that you're actually pushing those boundaries and you're putting yourself in a position where just one mistake and it's game over. You know, that's kind of what these guys are playing with. Um, and unfortunately, Steve made a mistake um, on a jump. I think it was his um, no, jump number 514 um, where he just made a mistake where he put himself too deep into a valley, couldn't get out of it and... and um, and hit the cliff face on the other side. So obviously not something that anyone wants to go through as a family member, but, you know, so many people do. Uh, Steve just happened to be base jumping at the time. But before um, his death, he started to get into kind of these... um, He he travelled all over the world, climbing, base jumping, skydiving, and he kind of reached a point in his life where... Um, he'd kind of done it all and experienced all that he wanted to experience. And I think when you live for so long doing that, eventually life just becomes normal again. It's not like the adventure that it once was. And so I think, guys, people just start looking for purpose in their life. And so he started looking for, well, maybe there's some way that I can actually live with a kind of a different set of a purpose as to not just climbing, base jumping for the sake of it, but actually using it for for the good of others so him and a few friends um set up this thing where they're actually going to be um climbing for 40 days on the side of a cliff face uh on a cliff uh in kyrgyzstan um and they would do that in order to raise money for disadvantaged kids um and so they started to direct their lives kind of more in that way um so he did that um and he raised money for the charity that I'm involved with. And he invited me to come along um, on that expedition. But I was so involved in the charity at that stage. I was like, I'd love to, but I just can't. You know, there's things that I want to do um, over it's in Africa where the charity is. Um, and I was spending a lot of my time there. I'd love to, Steve, but I just can't do it. And then the, the next challenge they were going to do was actually paddle surf skis from Papua New Guinea to Brisbane. Um, 24-7, so non-stop. There was going to be a four-man team just going non-stop. And again, they were going to raise money for disadvantaged kids. Um, and again, we were going to be a charity that they would be raising money for. And again, Steve asked me, hey, do you want to be involved in this? And again, I was like, oh, I'd love to, but I'm still so involved with the charity side of things, kind of help setting it up that I just can't do it. But I knew that it's something that, you know, if I had another life, I'd love to do it. And um, then when he died, it was kind of like, well, there was something in that. There was something in the aspect of doing something really challenging and make it really purposeful and raise money for you know people that are hurting, that are um, in difficult situations. So that's kind of like I started thinking, well, maybe we could set something up where we challenge people to do something really hard 
uh, and raise money for you know those that are less fortunate. And so that's where the whole cycling thing came in, where I wasn't a climber, I wasn't a good climber. Um, I couldn't run. I'd had a bad accident and my knee was pretty dodgy. And so the only thing we came up with was riding bikes. Um, and that was about 10 years ago that we had our first cycling event. And it all kind of just went, went from there um, to today where I'm still riding bikes and loving it. It's so inspiring to hear that you've turned such a, a tragic moment for you and your family uh, into something um, so influential and so positive in terms of the work that you're doing for this charity, which is Eagle's Wings, um, you know, creating these big challenge events for that. Um, you know, I'd love to hear about your drive and your determination for those big events. Um, what, what, what drives you? What keeps you determined when the struggle kicks in? Like I just recently finished my first marathon and the struggle absolutely kicked in. Um, yeah. what, what keeps you going? Uh, is it um, you know, the memory of, of your brother and the, the challenge events that he had? Is it the work that you're doing for your, your charity? What keeps you going? Um, the, the biggest thing for me is the sense of purpose behind it. So what motivates me is that our charity is involved in assisting uh, disadvantaged children. So uh, whenever I'm in a situation where, so for example, uh, five years ago I rode my bike around Australia and we're trying to set a new record for fastest solo assisted ride around Australia. And we pretty much got halfway around. So from Brisbane to Darwin wasn't too bad. From Darwin heading down the coast of WA, just became horrific. We had the worst headwind consistently day in, day out, and it doesn't stop. In WA, it doesn't stop. It's a lot of the plain lands, and it's hot. It's a hot part of the continent as well. So the wind doesn't die down when the sun goes down. It just keeps going. So we had the worst conditions, like 20, 30, 40 knot headwinds all the way down the coast, all the way to Perth, and I turned into just a crazy man during that period and I found that I literally could not stop I even though I wanted to stop I couldn't stop because the sheer fact that we're raising money for disadvantaged kids so you're talking about kids that are born into suffering that's just unheard of that I know nothing about that many of us know nothing about and they live their life not just for a period of weeks but their whole kind of year in, year out, living with lack of food, not going to school, one or two parents dying, their brothers or sisters dying all around them, the death is just there. So constantly it's just this state of, to me, extreme suffering in which they kind of are living in and they get, they get used to. And so for me it's like, well, how on earth, if we're doing a, an event raising money for such children, how can I get off my bike and quit when our whole purpose is to raise money for kids that suffer? And so I have this sense that I kind of tie my suffering while I'm on the bike to the reason that we're actually riding and it makes it impossible for me to stop. I, I cannot stop. The only thing that would ever stop me is some sort of injury where I literally am put out because I cannot ride because I'm injured. Um, no, there's, no, there's nothing else. There's nothing else. And that drives me nuts because so on the other side of Australia, 
when things were really bad and I was just going crazy, I knew I couldn't stop, but I knew that every single day I had to wake up and ride nonstop into a headwind. And it just literally sent my mind crazy. So for me, the whole thing is purpose. Purpose drives me. Purpose enables me to keep going. Um, without it, I would quit very easily. If there's no sense of purpose as to why I'm doing what I'm doing, then I would be, it would be so easy for me to quit. And so some mm. of my cycling friends have said that. I was just chatting to someone on the weekend about the, the ride in Canada. And so he was looking at some of the stats. It's like saying, how far you got to ride each day and how much kind of are you going to be sleeping? And I'd oh, be getting probably hopefully two or three hours sleep a night. And he's like, Ugh. he's like, you know what? I would probably start five hours later. I'd be like, nah, I'm stopping. <laughs> What's the point? And the, and the thing is that that's right because there's no reason or there's no purpose behind why he would want to do that. Why would he want to put his body through something which is going to be brutal and actually break the body down to a point where you're actually not getting fit. You're destroying your body literally over this period of time. Why would you keep going unless there was this deeper sense of purpose behind it? So that is the main thing. The actual story of my brother, um, I put into, um, it's, it's a different category. So yes, like when we were riding around Australia, felt like for some reason it did feel like a, um, a, a closing of a chapter to a certain extent, um, probably for many reasons. Um, one of them was that he'd spent 40 days on the side of a cliff in Kyrgyzstan. I'd spent 37 days on a bike riding around Australia. And so there was that sense of connection there. There was that sense that um, he would probably be proud of me. So I was his older brother, but kind of, it got to a stage where I was his older brother, but I kind of looked up to him with how he was living his life, if that makes any sense. Um, so there was a sense that he would be proud of me. Um, yeah, and there's a sense of like if I had have quit that I could feel that kind of he would have been laughing and paying out on me. He just loved teasing. So there's that, but that's kind of secondary to the, the whole purpose. Um, what I enjoy when I look back is that there is a good story there now that um, his death wasn't just some pointless event, but it was able to, I was able to use that in a positive way and there was good that's come out of it. Um, so a lot of people when they have someone close to them die, it's kind of like, well, what's the point? Like, what is this all about? And I think for most people there may be, is no point. I think everyone wants there to be a point, but a lot of people probably after 10 years will go, well, kind of, what was that all about? You know, it's only affected me in a painful way. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that I can look back and go, wow, like Steve died, but he kind of passed on this thing of a way of like raising money for disadvantaged kids, a way to live that's kind of really meaningful and purposeful, um, which I greatly appreciate now. So it never becomes like a positive. I don't think anyone can say, yeah, that was really cool that that happened, but there's some sort of meaning behind it that is really deep for me. So, yeah, if that makes sense. Oh, so. Absolutely. Um, apparently one of the ways to help with the grieving process is to create something 
positive in a way, not not turn that moment into a positive thing, as you said, but to create something positive to move forward with, to yeah. um, you know, allow their story, their inspiration to live on through this yeah. new positive venture, um, which is exactly what you're doing. Um, yeah. You keep mentioning the purpose in terms of supporting the disadvantaged kids. Where does that purpose come from? So I left Brisbane as a 24-year-old to go backpacking. And I went to Africa and spent seven months there. I then returned. I knew that I would return. I went there to help out carpentry students. I knew that one day I would return, and a couple of years later I did return. And when I went back the second time, I started to get involved um, in helping to set up an organisation for disadvantaged kids. And that's kind of where it it all started, where this deep sense of purpose uh, and I guess some form of a a life call um, for me happened because I then spent the next kind of three, four, five years just being around children that have been exposed to so much suffering that I kind of knew nothing of, hearing their stories, what they go through, getting to know them. And you're talking kids, five, six, seven-year-old kids that have been through so much. And so for me, over this period of years that I've just listened to so many stories, I've gotten to know so many kids that it just became a part of me. Like this whole thing of helping disadvantaged kids is kind of part of who I am. And so even now, just talking about it, I I can get emotional about it because I just know that so many children and what they've been through, their story. And once you know somebody's story, um, it's really hard to walk away. Um, That's what I find. And so for me... It's, it's too late, like I've spent too much time with them and it doesn't matter if I don't kind of go back to Africa for the next 20 years, it doesn't matter all that time I did spend there, it's just something ingrained in me now where I just can't walk away from this sense of purpose of what I'm here for, you know, so I guess that's where it comes from is just hearing kids' stories and what they've been through. And if you could tell those kids one thing. <laughs> If you could tell, I know this is a tough one. If you could tell those kids one thing, one message, what would that be? Okay, firstly, before I probably say what I'm thinking, is that the I spent I spent a lot of time with these kids, and I got more out of hearing their story and more how they experience life and their attitude towards what they've been through. Like I, my takeaway is, wow, I've learned so much how these kids deal in this environment. Um, the thing that becomes sad and the, things that, the thing that I would always want kids to know, the one thing is that there's always hope. You know, so Because you do see kids sometimes that have been through so much and they – have lost that sense of hope, that sense that their life can be better, that they actually can dream to be something in life, to do something in life. And that's pretty sad when you've seen somebody that's lost that sense of hope. So for me, it's just don't give up on hope, don't give up on your dreams. There can always be a brighter day. Um, But at the same time, knowing that that's pretty hard for me to say to a kid that's been through so much um that's what i'm thinking anyway is just don't give up on you know on any hope or dreams that you have 
Nice. And in a way, your big challenge, and exactly what you're saying about riding through Western Australia with that massive headwind, you're the example of that. <laughs> you know, don't give up. Um, there's <laughs> hope that maybe the wind would die down or there's hope that I'm going to make it. You know, I'll just, just keep going. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's no surprise that your one message about there's hope. You know, yep. you, you'll make it. Don't give up. Keep going. There's no surprise that that message is exactly what you're doing um, yeah. in your big epic cycles as well, you know, around Australia and then also with the one coming up in, in, in Canada very shortly. Um, yeah. Reid, thank you. We've got our final two questions coming up. Um, before that, if our listeners would like to follow you, if they would like to um, contribute to your charity to the Eagles Wings, how could they do that? Yeah, so the website is specific for the event is canadachallenge.org.au. Um, so we've got the live Facebook um, feed there and the tracker as well, which is a live tracker. Uh, so people can stay up 24-7 and see that blue dot move very slowly across Canada if they wish. Um, or alternatively, they can find out more about the charity uh, on ew.org.au. Excellent. We'll have those up in the show notes as well. So maybe when they're up watching the Tour de France, they can also have your tracker up as well at the same time. Yeah, watching two epic Definitely. cycle events at the same time. <laughs> Fantastic. Reid, I love asking our, our guests um, what, what Do Life Better means for them, you know, being the Do Life Better podcast, and all of our guests have very different experiences and backgrounds. And that's why I love hearing the different perspectives on Do Life Better. So, Reid, yep. what does that mean for you? Uh, do life better. I guess from experience, I've found that personally, I always need a challenge ahead of me. And so whether that's an actual physical challenge or whether it's a challenge of setting up an organization, um, any sort of a challenge that's out there, I find that if I'm idle, if I'm bored, that I can get up to no good. But if I've got a challenge ahead of me that I'm working towards, I find I just live life in a really positive way mindset um so for example the the challenge of riding across canada i've had to train really hard for the last couple of months um and i've enjoyed that process of getting as fit as i can um my mind is fresh i enjoy the, everything that goes around that so i'll just say yeah just set you know for me it's just set myself a challenge and work towards it and that i find that i can kind of live life pretty well doing that yeah Awesome. Thank you. And so, as you know, I like to finish each episode with a challenge for the week. Uh, one thing that our guests get to um, uh, give for our listeners a, a, a focus for the week ahead. So, Reid, what would be your challenge for the week for our listeners? <laughs> My challenge? All right. Well, um, I would say if you're in a position where you shouldn't be, uh, if you're at a job that you shouldn't be, quit it and go and do something else that you love doing. That's my challenge. <laughs> Don't be stuck in somewhere that you're bored. Go and do something that really inspires you to live life well. So it's a big challenge. <laughs> Good on you. And, and that's exactly with your purpose, yeah, in terms of find that purpose, find the one thing that you're passionate about, the one thing that inspires yeah. you, the one thing that keeps you going. Yep. Um, because by doing that, you're fully alive, yep. yeah. Uh, Reid, thank you. So, yeah, the challenge for the week, everyone, is find that <laughs> purpose find that passion find the thing that will keep you going if you're not in it change um that's right reed thank you there's so many more questions i would have loved to ask you um 
but in terms of honouring your time today, um, you know, may, maybe we can reconnect with you afterwards to see how it all went for you and, <laughs> and that type of thing too. But Reid, thank you very much for your time today and I'm, I'm truly inspired by hearing your stories. I know for me, what kept me going through the marathon was my deep sense of purpose. Um, but that was only 42Ks. I mean, you're riding 10 times that for 13 to 15 days in a row. Um, so your deep sense of purpose, your example of that, for um, other people out there, but also, you know, the work that you're doing for the disadvantaged kids is incredibly inspiring as well. And, you know, it's not only in the words that you tell them about there's always hope, but there's also in your perfect example in the challenges that you're setting for yourself as well. So, Reid, thanks for inspiring people the way that you are. Thank you. And all the very best for your ride in Canada. Thanks. No worries. Appreciate it. So there we go, the power of a deep-seated sense of purpose. As you go forward this week, remember Reed's challenge and importantly, find your purpose. Find that one thing that you can be purposeful about, passionate about, the one thing that inspires you, that keeps you moving forward. And if you do want to connect with Reed or follow his big ride around Canada, that website again is canadachallenge.org.au. That's canadachallenge.org.au. Also, the Eagles Wings website is ew.org.au. That's ew.org.au. So everyone, please remember to hit subscribe. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you hit subscribe. That way you get a reminder every time we release a new episode. Please do leave a rating and a review. I love knowing how this episode, these podcasts are going for you. Take a screenshot, um, put it up there on social media, tag me in there at Dave Jorner, J-O-R-N-A, and at Do Love Better Podcast. And I'll make sure that Reed gets to see your posts as well. And again, thanks for joining me today. Now it's time for you to go and share this. That's right, share this episode with as many people as you can. Again, thanks. I can't wait to join you next time. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the Do Life Better podcast. You can find all our show notes at www.projecthatch.com.au forward slash do life better. If you'd like to book Dave Jonah to speak at your event, company or school, you can contact him at hello at projecthatch.com.au. You can contact us on Facebook at Project Hatch and on Instagram at project underscore hatch. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with someone you think would benefit from these messages. And now it's time to get out there and do life better.